Good morning. My name is Joe Valenti. I'm one of the pastors here. I serve with our students and with our uh, missions department. And we are in week four of Because We Believe. We're, and we're going step by step, phrase by phrase, through the Apostles' Creed. And this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at the phrase that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And, um, uh, you know, as we've prepared for this week, like there are all these great statements, right? And I'm like, and I get the Virgin Mary one. And I'm like, okay, all right, you know. And honestly, I was, I was like, what am I, what am I going to teach? What am I going to teach? And I'm really excited about what the Lord has given me through prayer and through study. Um, I don't, know how, I, don't, I don't know how many of you know my wife, Linda, but she is about 5'6". She has brown hair. She has brown eyes. Um, and she does everything fast. She does everything quickly. Uh, she talks quickly. She walks quickly. She goes about life. Like, I'm, I'm usually, like, you can find me trying to catch up. Um, but let's say I was talking to you or to somebody else, and I started describing Linda as a 6'1 woman with long black hair, um, who, who just has this like easy pace to her life and speaks with a slow Southern drawl. Like you, you, if you know her, you would look at me like I'm crazy. Like you would go, you clearly, I don't know who you're talking about, but it's not Linda. And here's that, that illustration begins to break down rather quickly, but here's the point in American Christianity and in Christianity in general, one of the, one of the, um, concerns is that we do not know God and therefore worship God as he is. See, we can know God and who he is in his Trinitarian form, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what he is like, what he has done in the world, and how we are to respond to him. We know that from the Bible. And yet there have been these, in all of history, have been people, false teachers, false teachings that have come up with their own ideas. And unfortunately, the church has let some of them into its doors and into the lives of the sheep. And one of the aims of this sermon series, Because We Believe, is to put right in our minds and in our congregation and in our hearts what is true Christian doctrine. Because here's the danger right? If we begin to think of God and therefore worship and respond to God in a way that is not biblical, what we have is not Christianity. You can't just worship God however you want. You can't think of him however you want. We don't get the freedom to come up with our own ideas about who God is. That's called heresy and blasphemy. It's not Christianity. And so the creed is not meant to supersede Scripture, but to corroborate, corroborate what it is that Scripture teaches. You see, kind of the history of it is that in the, in the first century, the apostles learned from Jesus. And he was crucified, rose again, and was ascended into heaven, and he launched them out into the world to take this message, the gospel message of salvation in Christ alone. And everywhere that they went, they were opposed with other doctrines. We just finished our study in Galatians. 
The whole book of Galatians is a refutation of false doctrine. Pastor Dale spoke last week out of Colossians. The whole letter to the Colossians is to refute mystic, wrong teachings about Jesus. False teaching is a huge deal in the whole Bible and particularly in the New Testament. First and second Corinthians, Philippians, second Peter, second John, Jude, all of these books deal with false teaching. And what, what gets to me and what ought to get to you is that Christians as a whole, we've kind of become flippant. We've adopted the worldview of the world that like kind of, well, you can believe whatever you want to believe. And so every phrase of the creed is essential for true Christian belief. It is not enough just to say, oh, well, I believe in Jesus. It's not enough. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, yes. But there are, there's a whole set of doctrines that if you pull out any one of them, the whole gospel falls apart. Here's what I mean. If Jesus was not crucified on our behalf, if he is not dead, then we do not have forgiveness from our sins. If he was not resurrected, he has no power over death. If he will not return once again to judge, then we have no hope for the future. If the Holy Spirit is not real and was not left for us, when Jesus ascended into heaven, he left us with nothing. And we have no power to do anything, not the least of these is which come to Christ. We need the Holy Spirit's intervention to get past our own sinful nature and place our faith in Jesus. So if you pull out any one of these things, the gospel falls apart, and we talk about those things a lot. It's good that we talk about them a lot. It's good that we talk about the crucifixion and the resurrection and the work of the Holy Spirit. We dedicate a whole series to these things, and then we have the virgin birth. And I would propose to you that if we pull out that linchpin, that the whole gospel falls apart just like every single other doctrine. That, that Jesus Christ was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary is essential to Christian belief. And I hope to show you that this morning. We're going to be in Matthew 1. So if you would turn there with me, Matthew 1, and guess what, folks? We are starting in verse 1. And if you're, maybe you're not a church person, I apologize, kind of, uh, because this section of scripture is, is a genealogy. It's name after name after name after name after name, and you might be here going, what are these people talking about? I promise I'm going to show you why. So if you're not a church person, you might be like, what's going on? I'm going to show you what's going on. Just bear with me. If you are a church person, how many of you raise your hand with me if you've skipped over this section of scripture before? <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping to show you why it's important. Matthew 1 verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, 
the son of Abraham. I want to stop there just for a minute. Just lock that in your brain, okay? Lock that phrase in your brain. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You got it? All right, let's keep going. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shietiel, and Shietiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born." who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. I had to practice that. (laughs) I'm not kidding. And here's, so essentially... This section of scripture is showing us um, the bloodline or the genealogy of Jesus' adopted father, Joseph. What does it matter? Well, Joseph was a Jew, and Matthew's gospel, see, every gospel is written for a specific purpose. The gospel of Matthew was mainly written to show the Jewish people that Jesus was the Messiah, And so what we see here is that this portion of scripture is beginning to tell us or prove to us that Jesus is the Messiah. We'll come back to it. Continue reading with me, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name 
Jesus. So what's happening here? Joseph's, the, 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 the story of Jesus' birth from Joseph's view is mainly told in Matthew, and then Mary's version is kind of told in Luke, and so we don't get a whole lot of the backstory of what happened to Mary here, but Luke would tell us that she was visited by an angel prior to Joseph, and that the angel said, do not fear, because um, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will give birth to a son. He will be called the Most High. And so Mary knows at this point that she is pregnant and the Holy Spirit has done this supernaturally. And then Joseph finds out somehow, and we don't know how really he found out. Um, I can only imagine what walking into that conversation would be like from Mary's point of view. Like, eh, so um, I'm pregnant. God did it, <laughs> right? Or maybe, I don't know how long it was, but maybe he saw the little baby bump. Like, what's going on? Let me give you some background on what's happening. So they were betrothed. Now, that's not like modern-day engagement. See, engagement is just like you're really, really in love, and you're going to get married. But there are no real lifelong promises made in the engagement process. You do that at the wedding ceremony. You make lifelong promises. I do, I do, I will, I will, ring, ring. And that is like we have made these promises till death do us part. And then it becomes legally binding. In the first century, it was not that way. It became legally binding at betrothal, okay? So they were betrothed, they were legally married to one another. And the way that, the, the, that it was in that time is they still lived separately with mom and dad and they would go through that betrothal period for about a year, nine months to a year. And then they would come together, live together, consummate the marriage with relations and then they would you know, ride off into the sunset. So they're in this betrothal period where they're already legally bound to one another in marriage and Mary is pregnant. Now, the Old Testament law would have demanded that she be stoned as an adulteress. But under um, Judea, under the rule of, of, of Rome, was not allowed to enact capital punishment. That's why the Jews had to, go to, had to go to Pilate to have Jesus crucified. And so what they would do instead is they would haul Mary into court. Joseph would bring her into court and publicly shame her and sue her. Um, and then they would be legally divorced and her life would be horrible from there on out. She would be an outcast in the community. And Joseph's a good man. He's a godly man. It says he's a, he's a righteous man. And clearly he loves Mary and he doesn't want to do that to her. And so there's an exclusion in the Mishnah, which is like the, the Jewish commentary on the Old Testament law, where he could um, just take two witnesses He would actually pay a fee to do it this way, and he would divorce her kind of quietly under the radar. And I can't imagine what he's going through, right? If you've ever been hurt by someone that you love, going through these waves of sadness and anger back and forth. And the picture is he's laying in his bed one night, he's considering these things, he's mulling them over, like, what happened? What went wrong? Could I have done something different? Is Mary just out of her mind crazy? Who is the other guy? If there is another guy, all of these things, right? And he finally falls asleep and he has a dream and the angel of the Lord speaks to him God's message. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning, the message of God through the angel. So look with me 
At the words of the angel, they start about halfway through verse 20. First, the angel addresses Joseph according to his lineage. He says, Joseph, son of David. Well, if you look at the genealogy, he's not the son of David. David was 14 generations prior. But he calls him Joseph, son of David, because he's cluing in Joseph and those who would read this gospel later, that Joseph is in the line from which the Messiah had been prophesied. The savior of the people of Israel, the Messiah had been prophesied to come through David's bloodline, Abraham's bloodline. And the angel is kind of getting Joseph's attention a little bit. And then he goes on, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So Joseph is not the blood father, but here's why it fits into his lineage. Because when Joseph actually adopted Jesus, he became legally a part of his family. But he's not his blood father, rather miracle of miracles. And Pastor Dale started to get into this last week. But the, like... We, we just gloss over this. The pre-existent, holy, perfect, sovereign son of God humbles himself and the Holy Spirit, miraculously, there's no other way to explain it, puts all of that in an embryo in this little girl. Astound, like, that's insane. Which is why you might look at Joseph and go, I kind of get what he's saying. This just doesn't happen. We know how this happens. But this, a lot of scholars would say this is the miracle to end all miracles. That God would become flesh. The angel continues though, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, she will bear a son. So we see conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Fully God, fully man. This is what theologians call the hypostatic union. You can use that this week in conversation. Have you heard about the hypostatic union? Oh, you know. Yeah, you can use that. Here's what the hypostatic union is. It's the understanding that Jesus was fully God and fully man, that he had two full and yet distinct images. He was fully God and fully man, the only person to ever live like that. Now, we're not going to get into that this morning. That's for another sermon and another couple thousand pages. But here's what I do want to say. This is a great quote from one of my favorite theologians, J.C. Ryle. He says this, these are very mysterious subjects. They are depths which we have no line to fathom. They are truths which we have no mind enough to comprehend. Let us not attempt to explain things which are above our feeble reason. Let us be content to believe with reverence and let us not speculate about matters which we cannot understand. Enough for us to know that with him who made the world, nothing is impossible. 
we may safely rest in the words of the Apostles' Creed, Jesus Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. See, there's a lot of talk. Like when you start reading smart people, everybody wants to argue about how this happened, how it worked. It's like there are some really weird, like the angel got fresh with Mary. There's some really weird stuff. My main concern, though, is not how. Like, I'm fine with the supernatural. Like, God just, God did it. But why? That has troubled me for weeks as I've tried to prep this sermon. And there's a lot of different views on it. Like, so some, of the, some of the main views are that Jesus had to be conceived of the Holy Spirit in Mary to be fully God. To which I would respond, well, he could be, God could supernaturally put him into Joseph's seed and he, just do it that way. He's God. If you put him in an embryo, he could put him in Joseph, right? To which people would argue, yeah, he wouldn't be perfect. He would sin. He would sin, right? Uh, so this idea of original sin, so that, that because Adam sinned way back, that all of us are born with sin. Romans 5 talks about this, that Adam sinned and so all of humanity is now born into sin. So that's the argument. Well, if Jesus was born to Joseph and to Mary, if, if, if God had put him into Joseph and they had regular relations and out came this baby, that he would sin. He wouldn't be perfect. To which I go, you're telling me that God in heaven is going, oh man, I can't do it that way. Because if I do it that way, it necessitates that Jesus would sin. I can't fix that. Shoot. <laughs> how, do I, how am I going to get around this problem? You know what I mean? John Frame, one of my favorite theologians, kind of solves the problem by saying, However Jesus is born, God is able to impute to him, again, supernaturally, righteousness. It doesn't matter how he's born. God could have said, boom, boom, and there's Jesus, 30-year-old man. Hey, everyone. He could have done it that way. And it doesn't necessitate that he's, not, that, that, that he's less God or less man or able to sin. When we do those things, we tie God's hands and say, no, you can't do it that way. And I'm not willing to say that. And so I'm, I'm back to square one. And I'm reading through the text, and I go, it's there. It's in the Bible. I've studied all of this stuff, and I come right back to God's word, and it's there staring me right in the face. So let's look. Why this way? Why conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary? Read with me again the words of the angel. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins." Just so that you are aware, the name Jesus is a transliteration of the Hebrew name Joshua, which in the Hebrew is Yeheshua, which means 
yeah, Yahweh saves. So Jesus literally means God saves. So that's why it says that. Keep reading with me. Verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Boom. There it is. I read all these theology books and it's right there. All of this, all of it, Jesus being conceived by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, born, the angel coming to Mary, the angel coming to Joseph, and even, I would look even before all the genealogy, all of this took place so that the prophecy would be fulfilled, to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And then verse 23 quotes Isaiah, 700 years prior to this moment. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is why it happened. This is why it happened. So let's unpack that a little bit. Back up with me. I'm going way, 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 way back. That we actually can't even date when Adam and Eve were alive. But Adam and Eve sin, the fall, right? And there's a curse on Adam and on Eve and on the devil. And the devil says, there is going to be a man who will come. The seed will come and he will conquer. He will step on the head of the devil. Move forward with me. About 2,000 years-ish prior to the birth of Jesus, we meet a guy named Abraham. And God gives a promise to Abraham, who happened to be a descendant of Adam and Eve. And he says, through you... Through your family, Abraham, I'm going to bless the whole world, every nation. Can you imagine hearing that? Like, what? Then Abraham dies without seeing that reality come to fruition. Keep moving with me. About a thousand years later, about 1000 BC, we meet a little boy who's a shepherd in a field, and God chooses him and brings him to prominence, and he is the king of Israel, King David. And as King David is preparing for death, the prophet Nathanael speaks the word of God, prophesies, and he says this, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. What that means is not literally come from your body, but that will come through your bloodline. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And David doesn't see that prophecy come to fruition. Slide forward another 300 years. The, the prophecy that we just read from Isaiah chapter 7. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So we have this story. If you wonder what the Old Testament is about, this is what it's about. We see this story of God making promises way back in Genesis that he's going to do something about the sin problem in our world. And he tells Abraham, I'm going to, through your seed, through your family, I'm going to bless all of the nations. And he says that through David. Hey, there's going to be another king that'll be on a different type of throne, a throne that will last forever. And in Jesus... We see the fulfillment of all of these prophecies. Thousands of years later, 
the message to you and I and to the people, the Jews who would have read Matthew's gospel initially, the message to Joseph, the reason that the angel comes and says, Joseph, son of David, is to let him know the Savior has finally arrived. Thousands of years of prophecy are about to come true in this little baby. And do you know why he was born of a virgin? Because back 300 years ago through the prophet Isaiah, I said so. And I make good on my promises. The answer that we find in Matthew is a resounding yes of all the promises of the Father. Jesus being conceived of the Holy Spirit is not just some ordinary birth of some Jewish teacher. This is the Messiah. And our text this morning actually fulfills prophecy in Daniel 7 that he would be also a son of man. But then if you keep reading, don't turn there, but Matthew 2 begins to tell us the story of Jesus, that he would be born in Bethlehem, a prophecy that was in Micah 2, that the Messiah would flee to Egypt, a prophecy from Hosea 11, that Jesus would live in Nazareth, Nazareth, a, a, a prophecy from Isaiah 11. If you keep moving, Matthew 4, Jesus begins his work in Galilee, prophecy in Isaiah 9. Matthew 11 tells us that Jesus' ministry was filled with miracles, the fulfillment of a prophecy in Isaiah 35. The Messiah would enter Jerusalem on a donkey, found in Matthew 21, is a fulfillment to prophecy in Zechariah 9. All the way through, this prophecy being fulfilled of this little baby, conceived of the Spirit, born to a virgin, is what makes us focus in and see, hey, maybe God is faithful after all. Because if you think about the timeline there, right? 700 years between Isaiah's promise and the birth of Jesus. Generation after generation, wouldn't you think the Jews would be wondering, is Yahweh going to come through? Is he faithful? Is he going to do what he says he's going to do? And isn't that how we are? Year after year, moment after moment, things happening in our lives, and we wonder all the time, are you real? Are you really there? Can I trust you? Are you going to come through on your promises? The virgin birth says, yes, because here's the thing, here's why it's important, here's why it's a linchpin. If you pull it out, if you pull out the linchpin of the virgin birth, God proves to be a liar and he cannot be trusted and everything falls apart. But because God supernaturally through the power of the Holy Spirit conceives Jesus of the Holy Spirit and that he is born of a woman Thousands and thousands of years of prophecy are fulfilled so that you and me and the first century Christians and Mary and Joseph would know Yahweh saves. And Yahweh always makes good on what he says he will do. This Jesus is born from a human, a woman. He is fully man. He's tempted in every way. He's able to understand who we are, a fulfillment to prophecy. And this Jesus is fully God, holy and perfect. Tempted without sin, he is the fullness of God, healing, teaching, raising people from the dead. He is fully man in that he bleeds, and he is fully God in that he is perfect. And so why does this matter? Because when he walked up the hill to Calvary, another, s several fulfillments of prophecy 
He will be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver from Zechariah 11. He will be mocked and abused from Isaiah 50. He would be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities from Isaiah 53. This Jesus, the God-man in the flesh, is human so he can bleed like you and I, yet he's God so he's perfect and he is able to offer the perfect sacrifice once for all like Hebrews tells us. No more were these sacrifices of of, of goats and other animals. This is the perfect son of God once for all for the forgiveness of sin. God keeps his promises. And I don't know where you are this morning in relation to this stuff. Maybe you're like, dude, you're crazy. And let me, t- let me just tell you, that's how Joseph felt too. Right? When Mary says, God did this. We know he responds like a man. He responds like a human. No, he didn't. I'm out. He's skeptical of the supernatural. And we can tend to be skeptical of the supernatural. So maybe you're here and maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're visiting. Maybe all the supernatural stuff, the prophecy, you're just like, this is way out of my zone. You stealing my water, man? I'm going to fill it up. Thanks, Tom. You're the man. Maybe you're skeptical, right? Here's my prayer for you. You will notice that my aim this morning has not been to prove the supernatural to you. I could, we could sit up here and we could argue and I could give you apologetics. And at the end of the day, I can't change your heart. And some argument to prove or disprove supernatural works is not going to change your heart. Here has been my prayer for the skeptic this morning, that you would experience exactly what Joseph experienced. Because he goes, I'm out. This is crazy. And God shows up and says, it's not crazy. It's of me. And I don't want you to be visited by an angel necessarily, but I would love that you would have an encounter with the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit would do something in your heart and in your mind to convince you of just what J.C. Ryle says. These are things way above our head, way more than we can understand, and that our response is to be belief and faith. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. This guy, love this guy. (laughs) But here's the other thing. Here's the other thing that I believe is really important as we consider the virgin birth. Because we can talk high theology and it's really, really, it's, it's good. It's good that we talk deep theology, that we root it in our hearts. But I'll tell you what, I look around this room and I've looked across this room at two previous services and I know that the pain runs deep in your life. And it might be situational and temporary, things right now. For some of you, it might be circumstances in your life that just keep on coming. Day after day, week after week, year after year. And you wonder, like the Israelites might have, are you there? Do you care about me, God? Are you going to do anything about this. And here's what false teaching will teach you. False teaching, false teachers will say, well, you've just got to to think positive. 
You've just got to get yourself out of this funk. If you say the same words over and over and over and over and over again, maybe you'll start to believe it. And we start to believe that God is other than he is. We start to believe that God doesn't intend for us to suffer because we don't seem to like that part of God. We seem that we, we start to believe, well, God doesn't intend me to walk through difficult times in life. And that's not the teaching of the Bible. Here's the teaching of the Bible. And here is why this is so important. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they will call his name Emmanuel, which is a repetition of the most common promise in the entire Bible, I will be with you. That is the solution to our pain and to our struggles and to our wondering and to our wandering. Not that God would remove all the difficult things, not that he would make life just smooth sailing, but that we would believe him when he says, like he says to Joseph, do not fear. Why? I will be with you. It's the same thing he says to Joshua, interestingly enough. And he says it to us here. How can we walk through this sin-filled, broken world with all of our burdens? We can walk through life because Emmanuel, God, is with us. I was thinking about that song that we sang. You are good, good, good. Oh. <laughs> and then it says, you're never going to let, never going to let me down. And I was thinking, like, I wonder if these people believe that. Or I wonder as they sing these songs, if they're wrestling in their minds going, feel like you keep letting me down. Mess after mess, pain after pain, issue after issue. feel like I'm always being let down. The most important part of that song is the end. When the night is holding on to me, God is holding on. Emmanuel, God with us. He always is faithful to his promises. That is the only thing that you and I can hold on to in this broken world. That he is enough for you. And that his promises will keep coming true. He will keep being faithful all the way until the end, until Jesus Christ returns and he conquers Satan and he fixes all the sin and all the brokenness and all the illness. And for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, they will be a part of the kingdom of David, of David's ancestor that will go on forever. They will be a part of this family from Abraham that, in the, whole, that the whole nations would be blessed from. I had some illness in my family this past year. And the lyrics of that song, just, man, the whole rest of the song I don't even like. <laughs> but that part, 
when the night is holding on to me. God is holding on. That is the truth that we can hold on to. He's enough for you. He's faithful. This little baby born of a virgin is proof that God keeps his promises. Amen.